The wait is almost over. It's the game where legends are made, names are remembered, championships are won. Ohio State, Michigan. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. I'm your show host, Kyle Lamb. Hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving. I'm going to give you plenty more to be thankful about here in this episode of Locked On Buckeyes. I will remind you just how dominant Ohio State has been in the game and remind you, just reminisce, sit back, try to enjoy the dominance by Ohio State over the rival from that state up north. Also today, we will look at this game from every angle. Josh and Daniel of College Football Nerds will be joining me later as we dissect it, analyze it. We'll look at the numbers. We'll tell you what the model of College Football Nerds has to say about this game, the projection. We'll tell you what weaknesses Michigan have, has, what weaknesses and strengths both teams have, and who has the edge from every angle. Looking forward to breaking this game down. We are less than 24 hours away from kickoff in the game, noon on Fox. Locked on Buckeyes is brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye, licensed in 33 states, and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. We are also supported by GoBus with rides to over 40 stops across Ohio, connecting rural communities to Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Get to Ohio State games with GoBus and bring comfort back to traveling. Check them out at ridegobus.com. Locked on Buckeyes is your only daily football and basketball fix on the Ohio State Buckeyes. You can hear us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many other third-party apps. Or you can simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. It's a funny thing this game is. This this rivalry, Ohio State-Michigan, it, it really defies logic. I'm going to try to impress on people just how thankful you should be for the success of the rivalry. If you really take a step back for a minute and just look back at how dominant Ohio State has been, it's, it's, it's really an incredible thing to behold. And it's, yeah, it's kind of funny because... Look, I've got Josh and Daniel of College Football Nerds coming on here in just a few minutes, and we're going to dissect the game. We're, we're going to analyze it. You know, you're going to listen to Daniel and Josh. We're going to throw out a bunch of numbers, statistics, analysis. You're going to hear all the reasons why Ohio State is favored in this game and why Ohio State is projected to win. And we all know projections and predictions and, uh, you know, and spreads and points, you know, point lines. These things, uh, they're not perfect. They're right more than they're wrong, but they're not infallible, okay? You're going to hear all the reasons why Ohio State should win on paper. Some of you will be impressed. Some of you will feel better about the situation. You'll, you'll cut, walk away thinking, okay, you know, that makes me feel a little bit better. But I can throw all the stats and analysis at you. We can dissect this all we want. And, and the bottom line is you still got that feeling down in the pit of your stomach, right? There's nothing that Daniel or Josh or myself can say to you 
that is going to make you feel totally great about Ohio State's prospects to beat Michigan on Saturday. And the reason for that is because most of you have seen the heartbreak. You've lived through it. It's funny, no matter how many times Ohio State wins, it becomes harder to grasp the thought of losing. And you get more and more paranoid by the year. And if you're over the age of 30 plus, you most likely remember the heartbreak and heartache of Ohio State teams in the 90s. Really, really talented teams, really good teams under John Cooper that should have been playing for national championships or going to the Rose Bowl and having a chance in a national championship. That was before the BCS, before 98. Those teams should have been in the mix. They should have had, in my opinion, those teams were so talented, they should have won a couple national titles. Mythical national titles, although they were, they should have won a couple of titles. And that is the reason why I can dissect this all I want and you're not going to feel better about it. And that's why you should really take a step back and just be thankful for what Ohio State has accomplished. It's been 20 years since Jim Trestle took over, just under 20 years. And since Jim Trestle took over, Ohio State has lost twice. Two times. Urban Meyer has won seven in a row. Jim Trussell had won seven in a row. Since 2003, Michigan has won just once. One time in 15 seasons. Think about that. Let that sink in. If somebody had come to you in 2003, and I was at that 2003 game, by the way, up there in Ann Arbor, Ohio State and Michigan, 28-14, the John Navarre, Chris Perry game, really good top 10 showdown. It was a fun game to watch, albeit being in the big house, the little house, if you want to call it, the little house on the Ann Arbor Prairie. I was at that game, but if somebody had told me after that game that Ohio State would go on to win 14 out of the next 15 games, I would have said that they are crazy. But here we are. Michigan has not won a meaningful game against Ohio State since 2003. It is now 2019. And I'm not trying to say that the win in 2011 doesn't matter, because it does. Michigan won the game. They should get credit for that. It still counts. But Michigan has not beat Ohio State in a meaningful game. That year was with a lame, di- lame duck coach in a transition season, and everybody knew that within the next week or two, Urban Meyer was about to take over Ohio State and was about to change the game again. Jim Trestle changed it once. Michigan had their one year to celebrate, and it was about to change again, and it did. And so here we are, 15 years since that 2003 game. Ohio State has lost only once, and you have tasted the thrill of victory so many times in a row. You don't want to imagine what it would be like to lose a a meaningful game. There's a little bit of a bumper zone here. There's some cushion because Ohio State can go into this game. Ohio State fans can rest a little easier at night. You can tuck yourself in Friday evening knowing you can get up and the game is still going to mean everything to you 
to Ohio State, to the fans, the players, the coaching staff, the university officials, it still means everything in the world. But there is some comfort in knowing that Ohio State has a little bit of wiggle room here because they're still going to Indianapolis no matter what. And as long as they win in Indianapolis, they're going to be in the college football playoff. We don't know this for sure. It's not written anywhere. It's not a guarantee. But we know we don't need to use our imagination. Ohio State has earned enough, enough of a buffer zone. They will be in the playoff. But you don't want to think about Ohio State losing. And that's because after 15 years now, Ohio State just hasn't done it. You don't want to go back to that feeling in the 90s. And that's why you have it so great, because this is not natural. This Michigan team, in most years, would actually be right there with a real legitimate threat to beat Ohio State. And they still do. But the reason it's close to a 10-point spread in Ann Arbor is not because of a lack of Michigan, you know, anything that Michigan has done wrong. And don't get me wrong, this Michigan team, they have flaws. Don't let the media convince you this is a fully functioning juggernaut. They have flaws. We're going to talk about it with Daniel and Josh. The run game has not been great. The pass game has been a lot better, but we don't know if that's because of the competition or if they'll be able to replicate that against Ohio State, Chase Young, and and a variety of reasons. But this Michigan team is really good. And in most years, when Ohio State goes to Ann Arbor, you're talking about a three, four, five-point spread. That's what they would be in most years against this team. Last year, if they played that game, well, we know how it turned out in Columbus, but the spread, Ohio State was like a, what, five-point underdog at home. It probably would have been uh, probably a 10-point underdog on the road. So underdogs and spreads, look, they don't mean everything. But that's to say this, this Michigan team is pretty good. Unlike some other Michigan teams, they are playing really well. But Ohio State has been dominant, and that's why this rivalry, what Ohio State doing is doing right now, it's not normal. You don't, even by coin flips, just raw, random chance, you would have expected Michigan to beat Ohio State more than it has done, what, three times in the past, this century? That's it. That's been it right there. Three times this century, 18 years, Michigan has won three times. That is a statistical anomaly. It could be taken away at any time. And that's why Ohio State, they are the better team. I criticized Desmond Howard for the other day for saying that Michigan is better on paper. I, I, that's absolute absurdity. When you go down the roster, the starting lineups for each team, and you look at the numbers, the statistics, Michigan is not the better team. Ohio State it blows it away. It's not close. But that's where the randomness comes in, and that's why you should thank your lucky stars. Be thankful that Ohio State has dominated this series because it can be taken away at any time. This game on Saturday, Ohio State is a big favorite. We're going to talk about it here coming up in just a second with Daniel and Josh. I'll give you all the reasons in the world why I think you should be confident, but don't be cocky. Just be thankful. Go to bed. Just be grateful that Ohio State has dominated this series because this dominance and this rivalry is Unlike any rivalry I think we've seen in college sports in a while, that's been one-sided, especially relative to the competition. 
Michigan hasn't been on Ohio State's level, but Michigan's been on a level where it should have beaten Ohio State more than it has. Except for maybe the Rich Rodriguez years, under Brady Hoke, under Jim Harbaugh, under Lloyd Carr, they should have beat Ohio State more than they have. But Jim Tressel came in, he changed the complexion of this rivalry because he understood it, and he embraced it. John Cooper never embraced it. He was an outsider. He was always irritated that the, the media and fans would make this game into something it, he didn't think it was. But Jim Trestle came in with the opposite approach. He embraced it, and he dominated. And Urban Meyer came in also understanding the rivalry, having been around it. He came in. He also embraced it. And now Ryan Day is doing the same thing because Ryan Day saw how Urban Meyer approached it. He saw the success Urban had. He's also embraced the rivalry. You hope that that will continue because they brought in a guy. Yeah, he didn't grow up in Ohio. He's not from Ohio. He didn't coach in Ohio. But he's seen up and close how Ohio State has treated this rivalry, and he gets it. Be grateful this post-Thanksgiving Friday. Be thankful that Ohio State is in the middle of an era we have never seen before. This kind of dominance over Michigan, that team up north. It really is a spectacle. I'm not telling you to freak out because, oh no, disaster is right around the corner because Michigan has to win one of these sooner or later. They do, statistically, just by sheer chance, they do have to win one of these sooner or later. It might be Saturday, but whenever it is, whether it's next year, the year after another seven years, I don't know when it's going to happen, but appreciate this. Be grateful that you're seeing dominance that is truly unparalleled for a big-time rivalry like this between big two big-time programs. Ohio State has it rolling. Coming up next, Daniel and Josh of College Football Nerds as we dissect this game from every angle possible. Welcome back to Locked On Buckeyes. We're going to run into some big game preview, the game preview with my friends from College Football Nerds, Daniel and Josh. Guys, I appreciate you coming on to preview this game, as always. I know we we talk a good game on Twitter and go at each other quite a bit, but uh, uh, I really do appreciate your analysis and your insights, and uh, thanks for being with us. And we're happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, we talk a good game, but, uh, you know, I, I think hey, you held your own sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I, it's not my first rodeo, my friends. I can I can keep up occasionally. Um, so I, I'm going to jump it right in. Let's, let's start with Michigan. Cause this is an interesting topic. Uh, Daniel, I, I heard you guys on your preview of this game the other day. And, and I, 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 my thoughts on this kind of closely resemble yours. Michigan is an interesting case because when I see them watch them play, and then I also look at the analytics, I see a pass game that has improved, but I, I think there are still some red flags there with the run game and, and, you actually it's funny because I, I posted on Twitter the other day my projection for the run games in this in this uh, game the run totals in this game were 2.4 for Michigan and 3.9 for Ohio State and you guys were really close you had I think 2.5 and 3.8 so uh, I, I think we're seeing some of the same things but Daniel I'll start with you it's like I'm curious your thoughts on that Michigan resurgence in the past game and, and how much because I know you've alluded to this how much you think they've actually improved versus who they're playing. Yeah, to me, it's kind of like when you get an incomplete uh, in school. It's we, we really don't know yet 
And the frustrating thing is um, the data, we don't do a lot of recency. We don't give a lot of weight to recency, and it sometimes makes people frustrated, especially fans, because they want you to credit what in their mind is marked improvement throughout the course of the season. But sometimes improvement just coincides with you know, favorable matchups. And I think it's a little bit of both in Michigan's case. One, um, and as Josh pointed out on the show, like they have done some things offensively, it looks like, to simplify the offense a little bit um, and, and to get Shea Patterson out of his head. But the running game to me is still a concern. Um, we've seen some individual running back performances that have been okay, but still not great. I mean, Hassan Haskins is his had 3.4 yards per carry against Indiana, for example, and he had the most carries by far. And they really only ran, I think they ran for uh, about 80 yards against Indiana. So, yes, Shea Patterson looked great, and yes, he came out and threw the ball really well against a defense that's not really great. But one of the things that concerned me is that when we saw Shea Patterson lighten up Indiana, there was no pass rush. And we've had flagged issues with Michigan State in their secondary that athletically they can't keep up with good receivers. So there is, for every positive, there's an offsetting potential negative. I don't want to say, if any Michigan fans are listening, I don't want to say it's for sure a negative, but I don't think we'll know much until we see them play a team with a pass rush that can play, you know, defense on both, or running the ball and, uh, I'm sorry, on both defending the run and the pass. And Josh, continuing Daniel's thoughts there on the pass rush, you said something in the in your preview the other day that I totally agree with. I love Michigan's receivers. I think they're really good. I think part of Michigan's success recently has been the ability of Shea Patterson to have five and seven-step drops and be able to have time to throw the ball downfield to those guys. I think Nico Collins is as good as anybody in college football at high-pointing the ball and going up and, and winning a 50-50 battle. The interesting thing for for Michigan this game is will they have time to set up with five and seven step drops and be able to throw downfield against the Ohio State defense? And that really is the combination of the point that Daniel was making and you know the point I made in the show and what you're making now. When you have a passing game, it's always a combination of your ability to block, your ability to throw the ball accurately, and your ability to make the catch based on separation. So when all those things, three things are going well for you, your passing game can go bonkers. And, you know, you know, like if you're in Alabama or in Oklahoma where you've got a good quarterback and you've got receivers that have a lot of separation and you've got really good offensive lines, all of a sudden you can kind of go nuclear in the passing game. Michigan's passing game, the concern for us is you can sort of watch it track with who they're playing. And I think the Michigan State game was a obviously a very good game. I mean, Michigan State had not given up over 10 yards per attempt and they gave up. 12 to Michigan. Um, but Indiana, like they got lit up by Nebraska too. So, you know, 20 to 23, 294 yards, 12.8 per to Nebraska. There, there's question marks all around. But I do think, to your point, those question marks are somewhat answered by the fact that the receivers are really good. And I think it's interesting, and I think it's often a positive when you see this. Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell have been the guys. I mean, Collins looks like the best receiver on the team, but Ronnie Bell actually leads the team in receptions. And we talk about it a lot. When you talk about returning production, you have to be a little bit careful because the best sign of a team's improvement is when you have returning players that get passed on the depth chart or returning players that are no longer the main contributor. 
because that almost always means somebody else on the roster is either come in as a young player or has bloomed or come back from injury, and they're better than the guy you had before. That, to me, the biggest sign of improvement on a team is not a team that returns a ton of players from the year before, usually somewhat better, but often not necessarily monumentally so. It's a team that if you ever return players and they're not the studs, that says a lot. And right now, you know, to that point, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black are the third and fourth receivers on this team. And, you know, if you go back a year ago and look at where they were at, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones was the number two guy. And we felt like the injury to Tariq Black uh, really was hamstringing that offense. Now, all of a sudden, you know, those guys are kind of secondary targets. And that, I think, speaks to how good Ronnie Bell is, how good Nico Collins is. And then get combine that with the ability, like you said, for Patterson to be able to do a five to seven step drop. Uh, the fact that he has time before behind the offensive line, um, they're able to actually utilize that receiving core that I think has even improved from where it was a couple years ago and, and turn into one of probably the better units in the country. And Daniel, you mentioned you know Michigan fans probably want to do recent success, but if you track the running game, there hasn't really been a lot of success in that running game even recently. Uh, even the last couple of weeks, I think you mentioned less than three yards to carry against Michigan State or right around three yards to carry against Michigan State and Indiana. So the success just hasn't been there. And I don't know if you guys saw this, you know, the last 18 years in this rivalry, the team that's rushed for the most yards has won the game. That's not necessarily unique to college football, but it's been a real high emphasis on being able to control the line of skim- scrimmage in this game. Yeah, and it's looking like it might be a weather game. So that sort of exacerbates the problem if you can't run the ball. I think it's also worth noting that if you flip it around and you're talking about who can control the game running the ball, we, you know, I've been high on Jackie Dobbins all week. I've been kind of pumping him up on Twitter, but people also forget that Justin Fields can also run the ball and can throw the ball. So I think that where we also, we see a problem with Michigan running the ball. We also see a problem in a weather game. We see a problem if you can shut down that pass a little bit. Just get them off schedule a little bit. They don't have a running game that can go out and get a huge run or a consistently driving the field type of run game that, you know, I don't know that Ohio State is going to have that in this game versus a pretty stout Michigan defense, but it will at least be functional. And that's what we see in the numbers, even in Kyle, your numbers and our numbers. At some point, you get under a certain threshold and your run game becomes non-functional. And we saw that even in this Indiana game, I keep going back to it, the the top two backs had like right at 20 carries combined, which isn't a lot when you consider how much Ohio State ran and was able to run in a weather game against Penn State when they needed to. So I think it's important. I think that, you know, last year Ohio State's makeup was a little different where that I think they could probably win that game just throwing the ball because of how they executed the pass game, you know, stuff, short stuff across the middle as an extension of a run game, things like that. But I am concerned if I'm Michigan in that all of the resurgence offensively hasn't been because of vastly improved offensive line play that has opened up the run game. It's been all on Shea Patterson's arm and these wide receivers, and that's something that might be there and it might not. It's interesting, Josh, because this game kind of profiles a little bit like Penn State for Ohio State offensively in that Ohio State did not have a great run day against Penn State, but they still ran for right around four yards of carry. In this game, they're projected around 3.8, 3.9, but that's just kind of teetering on the edge and against a good defense like Michigan where you can make just enough big plays with the run game 
and be just consistent enough that if you get out to a 7-14 or or 17-point lead, I think Ohio State, it, it bodes well for them to be able to really milk the clock against a pretty good defense. I think so. And, you know, we haven't jumped into our model yet. I, I imagine we'll do that probably in a minute. But to sort of give you an idea, just in the run numbers where our model has it, it has Ohio State at 3.8 yards per carry. It has Michigan at 2.45 uh, yards per carry. So, you know, that's a Michigan run game that's similar to what they had against Michigan State when they had 34 carries for 83 yards. That That's what that 2.44 yard per carry looks like. And for Ohio State, you know, 3.8 yards per carry isn't great. But against Penn State, like you said, they were at 3.75 yards per carry, just about the same average. They ran it 61 times to 229 yards. That's a lot of yardage, but it took a tremendous number of carries to get there. But that was good enough to get two touchdowns. It was good enough to get to 28 points. I, you know, To your point, it, it matches up very similarly. Our model is saying they have almost the same game they had against Penn State. And that's a, it, it's a big jump. I mean, you can say 3.8, 2.5. What's the big deal? Neither one of them is great. Well, you know, the truth is it actually is a big deal. Because if you're at over, you know, just do simple math here, right? If you're over 3.33 yards per carry, you can run it three times and get a first down. If you're getting four yards per carry per average, you're getting to a first down every three carries, even if it's by the skin of your teeth. If you're at 2.5 yards per carry or below, um, you do two carries and you're at third and five. And all of a sudden now you're in a passing situation. So that that little bit of an edge is the difference between Ohio State avoiding third and longs and Michigan constantly being in third and longs if they're relying on the run game. And that's why there's such a big differentiator, even though neither run game is necessarily doing awesome. It has a big, big impact on the way the game plays out. Right. That's a great point, because if Michigan is at consistently at second and nine, second and 10, second and 11, that allows those Ohio State pass rushers to really start coming at you on second and third downs. And that's not a position you want to be in if you're Michigan. Uh, Daniel, so I want you to explain something. You mentioned turnover luck, and there's a little bit of luck in, as you mentioned, fumbling the ball, but there's a lot of luck in recovering the ball. And so it's it's inter- interesting because you were dead on the money. Ohio State looked somewhat mortal this past week against Penn State, and yet it's a game they were up 21 nothing. I had a 260 to 55 yard uh, advantage at halftime, and uh, other than for a couple turnovers, might have gone on to to win by 21, 28 points. But if you would talk about the turnover luck, because I know a lot of people are actually surprised whenever I mentioned that. Believe it or not, there is a lot of luck to the to these things. Yeah, we get this a lot with the model. They're like, you know, do you even do you even model the fact that we might get a fumble Saturday? No, we don't because you might or might not. It's entirely the way we say it is fumbles are random. Fumble recoveries are far more random. Um, interceptions are a little less random, but in general, turnovers are, are are not something that you can model against unless it's so frequent and so consistent that it becomes a part of being baked into your scoring offense. Um, I think though, I think it was like 2015 or 16 Alabama that was averaging like over one non-offensive touchdown a game, but that was rare. That was an aberration, but that would show up in the numbers. A bad day where you have a few turnovers, not only is it random, but it does, but it does greatly impact the game, which makes it Hard to model and hard to predict. An example was, you know, we got killed. We picked Alabama to win the LSU game, but we said if any team is plus two in the turnover margin, they're definitely going to win the game. LSU was plus two in the turnover margin, and they won by five. And we got killed after the fact. They're like, oh, man, you missed this game. You didn't pick this right. Well, look what happened. There were two 
unforced fumbles that were both recovered by the other team, which is even more random. Um, so when fans, I think fans tend to look at how their team performs and sorry, my dog's going crazy in the background and want to model against it or want something to hold on to. But usually with turnovers, maybe unless it's Shea Patterson, who was fumbling like crazy early in the season, it's really hard to, to chart against. Yeah, and I'll jump in here real quick. So to Daniel's point, extrapolating it out to Ohio State, I mean, the first point is models like ours do take into account, like he said, if you're fumbling so much that it becomes a function of holding back your offense, then that'll start to show up in the numbers. Or if you get a ton of non-offensive touchdowns, that shows up. But it's usually so random sporadic, no team really has usually enough of a consistent edge for it to make almost any impact. It's just a representation of the variability of college football as a sport. Now, to your point, the Penn State-Ohio State game in particular, drawing that out, Ohio State fumbled the ball four times in that game, and they lost three of four. Every fumble is, by almost every account and every analysis anybody's ever done, a completely random statistic on whether or not it's recovered. It's so situational. It's so based off how the ball bounces and, you know, all these other, like, completely random factors that you, you just absolutely can't predict. There's never been a team that was, quote, good at recovering their own fumbles. Um, there's just been teams that were lucky. And Penn State pumped the ball twice with Will Levis, and they got them both back. So when you sort of break all that down, I mean, the end result of it is this is a game where Ohio State had a little more, you know, created more turnover opportunity than Penn State did. But at the end of the day, you know, Ohio State ends up being, you know, I think, what, minus two in the turnover margin. And it really should have been an even turnover game or, you know, because Penn State threw a pick, which is a little more more a function of your offense and how it's operating, this game should have been even in turnover. So that, that plus two turnover margin, especially, and you know, that, that's a random thing, but then especially the fact that where and how Ohio state turned the ball over, if you turn it over either deep on your own side of the field or deep on the other side of the field, it, it's tremendously more impactful. So that one fumble going in the end zone obviously took seven points off the board. And then Penn state got two short fields off the other two fumbles. Every one of those was worth a tremendous amount of points. Those were all random events. It was not only random that Ohio State fumbled. You can say, okay, you're handling the ball a lot, uh, but it's also random that there's a recovery. I, I will say one thing before I turn it back to you, Kyle, and that's, I think, an interesting point for Ohio State and Michigan going into this game. I'm saying all this stuff's random, but it's not completely true in these situations. And what I mean by that is, if you were required to march down the field in a spread offense where you're getting four to six yards every play and you've got to convert, let's say, you know, six, seven first downs to get a touchdown on a drive. One of the problems is every one of those plays is a random chance at something bad happening yeah. at a fumble happening in a recovery. And that's why like Auburn against LSU kept that game 23, 20. And to a large extent, we've pointed out the fact that, you know, people want to crow over the Auburn Alabama game, which is kind of one of the big topics right now. And they point to that game as the indicator why the teams are so different. They both gave up five, over 500 yards to LSU, Auburn and Alabama. The difference was Auburn did it very slowly. Alabama did it in chunks. That's a big deal because if you do it slowly, you give you constantly give yourself an opportunity to generate a negative play because football is not about getting yards. It's really about getting first downs. It's really about not turning the ball over. If you're Ohio State and you have to drive the length of the field slowly, you greatly increase your chance of something going wrong like what happened against Penn State. Versus if you're hitting, you know, 60-yard bombs, you don't have the chance to fumble in the middle of that play. You just get a touchdown in between. We've got more coming up with Daniel and Josh of College Football Nerds coming up in just a moment. 
We talked about the disparity in the run game, at least on paper, between these two teams. Josh, if you could, what does the model say about the pass game? I know you have uh, Ohio State. Men- you, men- you guys mentioned on your show Ohio State is giving up only 70% of the yards per play that their opponents averaged in the pass game defensively. Michigan giving up 83%, which is good, but not not as great as the 70%, obviously. But where, where does the model see the two pass games uh, going in this game? Right. So both teams are about 62, 65 percent of opponent averages in the run. And then but Ohio State has a big, like you said, a big advantage in pass defense, 70 percent versus 83. It's hard to keep a team from, you know, hitting their pass averages. That's a reason why the elite playoff teams have generally been passing teams. It's because passing games are a lot harder to shut down. It's why it dominates the NFL, where the defensive quality is a lot higher. It's why it dominates at the top end of college football. The passing game for both teams is is similarly affected. It's just Ohio State starts from a higher point, and that little bit of an edge makes a big difference. So Ohio State's projected to have about 7.6 yards per attempt. Michigan's expected to have about 5.8. Now, we peg the competency number for run and pass to be about 4 yards per carry, about 7.5 yards per attempt. So Ohio State's a touch under competent run, touch over competent pass, right at a competent like 5.4 yard per play mark. That's not an average of those two numbers. It's based on tendency. So you're you're kind of competent of both sides. And then Michigan is partly due to the fact their passing game is still not quite as good. It's expected to be about 5.8 yards per attempt. Probably not hit 6-point yards per attempt. Um, I think maybe they do. That might be a little conservative, but given the weather, it, maybe it's not. Um, and that's under 4 yards per play. And again, there's a big difference if you're at 5.5 yards per play versus 4 because you're going to have an incompletion occasionally, right? And if you have an incompletion, but you can generally get over five yards per play, you can eat an incompletion and then get two five-yard plays and move the sticks. And if you're in Michigan and you're at under four yards per play, or we're saying about 3.99, the danger is if you throw an incompletion, on average, your next two players are going to go for four yards, four yards, and then you're going to punt on fourth and two. So it doesn't seem like a massive edge, but those little yard per play differentials are a big deal because of the way college football is sort of orchestrated around getting first downs. I want to ask what the model has to say about this game, and then I'll give you each a chance to add your own thoughts and opinions on on whether you agree or disagree with the model. But Daniel, I do have one other question for you. So I got this question when I reached out to you guys about having you on the show this week. Somebody asked me if I knew if you took into account third down conversions. Uh, so I will ask you that question if that is something, because I know Ohio State is number one. It's They're at an unbelievable 58% clip. Uh, they were curious if you took into account third down conversions in your modeling. So I don't know that we do in the modeling. It's, it, I think it, 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 it tends to appear kind of in aggregate in the numbers. We actually used to, in, a, in one of the info cards that we put up during our show, we put third down conversions, and I actually swapped that out for red zone touchdown percentage, which I think in the modern offensive era is far more important especially with teams that can – you'll see this a lot. Um, we use Auburn as an example of this. Over the years, you know if Auburn is going to be 2013 Auburn or most other years Auburn if they're getting good conversion in the red zone because these spread offenses, either RPO offenses, zone reconcept offenses, a lot of them can move the field, convert third downs. They're really hard to get off the field. But when the field shortens and they get into the red zone, are they scoring touchdowns or they can get kicking field goals? Because that's generally the difference between a functional spread offense and a non-functional one. 
Um, and, and when the other side is, is if they're good, you know, all you got to do is hold them to field goals. You'll let them, you know, do all they want between the twenties, kick field goals instead of touchdowns and you're going to beat them. So I think we're finding that to be a little more important statistic than third down conversion rate. Um, at least I am. Okay, Josh. So moment of truth time. I'm going to ask you first what the model has predicted for this game, projected for this game, I should say is, is more accurate term. And then I'm going to also ask what you think personally and any thoughts that you have uh, to add or subtract from that. So the model has this game 31-15. And again, it it sort of extrapolates the edge that Ohio State has over Michigan in yardage. And then our our scoring model is a tidbit for those that don't watch our channel. It's based entirely on, you know, opponent quality, how you did against your opponents, but it also is based off this idea that every team reacts to production in a different way. Some teams need more production, some teams less. Some teams get scoring regardless of production. And so the scoring model is kind of unique to each team. Um, We'll say a machine learning concept, not really machine learning. Um, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring personally. And and a lot of it's due to the weather. I mean, at this point, we're Wednesday. I know the fact that the weather should be pretty crappy uh, on Saturday. I think Michigan's defense is good enough to keep Ohio State from being able to just march down the field the way they did early against Penn State. Now, we've gone back and forth, and I I would generally agree with you that that Ohio State-Penn State game, from a predictive standpoint, Ohio State beat Penn State a lot more than the score. Um, And understand what I mean by that is, if I want to look at that as a forward-looking data point, Ohio State's performance tells me they're a better team than they kind of showed up in the numbers um, against Penn State if you were to look at just pure score. That's, That's not wholly indicative. But... I do believe that Michigan's rush defense is better than Penn State's, frankly. And I think uh, Penn State's pass defense had been shaky and couldn't get exploited by Ohio State in that game. Those things combined tell me I think that they're going to be able, in the weather where Ohio State is going to be more of a pass, a uh, run-first team, going to be able to hold Ohio State in check, make them march the length of the field, and then sort of wait for the negative play. The flip side to me, I don't think Michigan's going to really score either. So I I have it 21-10. Because I think maybe at some point Michigan gets a drive. Maybe there's a turnover. Michigan scored a drive, score, hey, has a struggle to score in a lot of games. And, and if you do buy, like I do, the fact that Ohio State is either the top defense or at least one of the top three with Georgia and Clemson, it's entirely possible for them to have a 10-point game or a 14-point game like they had against Iowa and Wisconsin. Because Penn State, uh, Ohio State, in my opinion, is a better defense than Iowa or Wisconsin. Um, and again, Penn State, if they don't get turnovers, is not going to score even you know the points that they scored, um, just 17 in the Ohio State game. Um, so that's why I have a 21 to 10. Daniel, where are you at here? Uh, in addition to the modeling, what do you see happening maybe either uh, that the model sees or the model doesn't see? Uh, I, I thought it would – I think it's going to be a little higher scoring than Josh. Uh, I said 29-21 um, Ohio State – I do have some concern, not concern, but the combination of the potential upswing from Michigan being legitimate and not just a function of who they played, I think we'll see Saturday. But I also think that Ohio State knows what, what's at stake in this game, and, and I don't think that prior years matter. Um, I know a lot of people will say, like, oh, you haven't won this game in seven years, or you know, LSU hasn't beaten Alabama since 2011. I don't think that matters to the guys on the field on Saturday. Uh, I think who's the best team and who makes the fewest mistakes matters. Uh, The one thing I would look out for is we keep touching on this Penn State game. Michigan, and we talked about this on the show, Michigan has the highest upside, the highest headroom of any team Ohio State's played this year in terms of talent on the roster, 
especially offensively. Ohio State, the one concern I have for Ohio State is they haven't played really high-functioning pass offenses. And I'm not about to say that Michigan is one of those, but they have the potential to be. And that is a – that is a if we're going to give a question mark to Ohio State, that's a question mark I have for them. I would like to see them play Minnesota in the championship game to at least cut their teeth on – uh, a good offense like that before they get in the playoffs because you don't want the first high-functioning pass offense you really see to be LSU. Uh, you just don't. So um, I, I'd like I'd like to see them get a little test Saturday. And I think this is going to be a closer, uglier game. But I said on the show as well that I don't think that would have me move Ohio State out of the number one spot because they've done enough this year, you know, through the course of their season to make me feel like they're still the best team and understand that there's – Sometimes a little ugly in a rivalry game like this with a talented team. It's okay to just win, baby. Josh and Daniel, you can know them as college football nerds. They are on Twitter at CFB Nerds. Guys, I appreciate you previewing this game as always, and we will definitely keep up the banter going forward. I'm sure we're in for a a fun couple of weeks here. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much, Kyle. That's going to wrap it up for today. I think you can take a guess what we'll be talking about on Monday. I just got a hunch it's going to be this Ohio State-Michigan game. We'll see what happens. I'm calling an Ohio State win. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think they're going to get it done. I think the run game that I've focused on all week long and the lack of a run game for Michigan, I, I you know, call me crazy for saying it's happened 18 years in a row, but I project Ohio State to rush for more yards than Michigan, and I think that's going to be enough to get it done. We'll see what happens. Locked on Buckeyes, your only daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast out there. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow the show at Locked on Buckeye Singular. I'll be along next week, of course, to pre- to review the game here on Locked on Buckeyes, as well as my other platform, Unscripted Ohio. Thanks for listening in. Hope you enjoy the game. We'll be back at you on Monday, everybody.